75 to 90% of medical visits are stress-related, and that comes from a lot of different sources at this point. So anything you're going to the doctor for most likely has a stress component. It doesn't mean stress caused it, but stress will agitate or activate anything that's already bad in the system. And we know there's always things off. You know, we have precancerous cells that get activated. And so what we really, I think, want to be thinking about is like patterns over time. Welcome back to the Essentially You podcast, all about reinventing your health with safer, cheaper, more effective natural solutions and powerful lifestyle changes so that you become the CEO of your health. I am your host, Dr. Marisa Snyder. Last month, On our second anniversary show, which was episode 178, I revealed an important truth to you, that I was addicted to stress for over 10 years, but I never told you why. And I haven't really told anyone publicly until now. For as long as I can remember, I was afraid that everything would be taken from me because I barely made it out of my childhood. From the age of 12 on, I was living in a nightmare that there was no way of escaping. I spent days locked in my room and no one seemed to care what happened with my life. At the age of 12, I made a decision, sitting on the floor of my bedroom, probably locked in it that day, that I was gonna figure a way out. Before this, you should know that I had never done well in school. On average, I was a C and D student at best, And it was clear to many people in my life, many of the adults, that I wasn't smart and the bar was very low for me. I remember my dad and his wife sitting me down at 11 years old, telling me that they didn't care about my grades. They knew I didn't get good grades and it wasn't how they were going to grade me or score me in life. As long as I followed the rules and didn't cause trouble, they were good. And that was a defining moment for me because it shifted everything I believed about moving there, moving to their home. I was looking for structure and guidance and all I got was you better behave or else. So after a year of experiencing some really tough times, I was scared that I wasn't going to succeed and my dreams of college were not gonna be realized because I had been brought up being told by a lot of people that college was that gateway to creating the life that I wanted to live and I wanted it so bad. So that summer before my eighth grade year, I remember sitting on my floor and I took out a journal and I made a commitment to myself that I would get out and I would go to college and I would become something of meaning and service. I would make something of myself that meant something. And then I did the only thing I knew to do. I started to read and study my butt off. I read anything and everything I could get my hands on because I believed that reading was my only ticket out because I knew that I could retain a lot of information that way. And there were days where I would read 400 plus page books in one full day. I was cranking through hundreds of books each year because I knew that was how I could actually get smart. And to my surprise, definitely at first, My grades went from C's to D's to B's to straight A's. Despite the darkest days, I actually graduated from high school at the top of my class and I was the most decorated person of my senior year with medals and ropes and all the things. And I received three full academic scholarships. But it took a level of grit and persistence and perseverance that I really can't put into words and I learned it at a very, very young age. 
I felt like I was in survival mode as a high schooler because I thought nobody had my back. I felt, if anything, people were working against me. So when I got to college and I had this academic scholarship, I studied every single day and every single night. I didn't attend parties, I didn't hang out, my nose was in a book. And I used that same worth ethic that I used in high school because in the back of my mind, I honestly thought that it could be taken from me and I would lose it all. I was stuck in this trauma loop. And for a decade, I operated like this. And the reason why is that I held on to two very strong, powerful beliefs. One, that I was worthless unless I worked harder and that other people's needs were more important than my own. These damaging beliefs and this trigger of trauma that I constantly found myself in drove me into the ground by the age of 30. I was exhausted. I had chronic fatigue, horrible hormone issues. If you've listened to the podcast, I talk about that story a lot. And I felt like a fraction of who I used to be. And I felt like I hadn't even gotten started. I hadn't even written one of my seven books yet at this point. And what I learned in all of this is that our past traumas can continue to trigger us with that same perceived threat pattern over and over and over again. I literally felt like I was a broken record or I was living inside of a broken record. And these patterns are hardwired into our brains and in some instances can be attached to these really strong held beliefs that we were brought up with, like me feeling like everyone came first. And those trauma patterns, whether they're big or they're small, whether you were abused as a child like I was, or you had a teacher tell you that you just weren't good enough, that you weren't smart enough, those end up sending a cascade of chemical signals through the body, through our stress response system, and it arms our body for survival mode. It arms our body for fight or flight. And so often, this system can be so insidious that it can even feel like It is your slight edge, that it is your persistence, that it is your grit and grind, because I thought it was that for me. So I want to ask, do you know what one of the most important contributors to our health is? It's the autonomic nervous system. Now, the autonomic nervous system stands for automatic. It's the part of our central nervous system that controls our endocrine system, our hormones, our blood sugar levels, our breath rate, blood pressure, and everything that is automated or running on automatic inside of our body. Also, that automated system is assessing whether we are in a perceived threat circumstance. And that response, that stress response system, if if we feel like we're in a perceived stress circumstance, will send physiological effects throughout the entire body. We will feel stressed. We will feel panicked. We will treat our friends and family unkindly. We will have racing thoughts. We will make irrational decisions, right? We've all been in that state where our automatic nervous system gets threatened. We feel threatened and it turns on and we find ourselves in the state of panic, anxiety, stress, overwhelm, and maybe even frozen in fear. And this system, it ruled my life. It ruled my body for years. And I honestly had no idea. I know that my hormonal imbalances were caused by the constant triggering of my stress response system. I know that my Hajimoto's autoimmune condition was also a cause by too much perceived stress and other contributing factors. And I believe that we're living in a time right now where many of us 
are feeling triggered by our past traumas, and I know it can be hard. When I froze in my living room three weeks ago and I stood there not knowing what to do, it felt so familiar and it felt scary. Now, I want you to know that you don't have to go this alone. And I know sometimes it can feel really hard. And that's why today I want to deepen this conversation. And so I invited a fellow stress expert, Dr. Heidi Hanna, who is the author of Stressaholic. Now, she and I will be sharing our best tools and resources to support you right now or any time that you are feeling triggered or when you feel a perceived threat in your life, right? It could be a meeting that you're running late to. It could be a crazy text message that you get. It could be someone who may be sick far away from you, whatever it may be that just triggers up your stress response system to respond. I want to set you up for success, whether you are aware of when you're stressed or if you're not aware at all. Because again, like I said, I had no idea for 10 years that I was living in this this stressed state of mind I just was operating like everything was going to get taken away from me. And the interesting thing about all of it is that I kept getting rewarded. Every time I overexcelled, every time I did more, every time I stayed up till three or four in the morning and knocked something out, I was rewarded for it. And it can be, like I said, it can be so insidious because we have a culture that really rewards when we are taxing our body. Now, as I mentioned, I do want to set you up for success today because stress can feel like a lot of things. Like I said, it could even feel like winning. I know that it felt like winning for me for many years. But before I bring Dr. Hannah on, I want to quickly share the resource that I've created for you today. I recorded a quick video on YouTube on how to banish stress with three quick strategies. And these are strategies that are tried and true. They're things that I use every single day because as I mentioned, I was a stressaholic and it's so easy for me to fall back into those patterns. And I will have a link in the show notes so you can go and watch. It's like a eight minute video, but the tool sets, oh my gosh, they can be with you forever so that you can use them anytime you're feeling stressed or overwhelmed. Now, on top of the strategies I share in the video, I am doing a couple other rituals every single day along with supplementation that's helping to keep me calm, even on the toughest day, right? Because right now it feels like a roller coaster. Some days are great, some days are not. What can we do to support ourselves in those moments where it's not? So I am gratitude journaling every single day. I am using my oils, you know I am. I'm making relaxing herbal teas. I'm taking my supplements to reduce my stress response system. I'm taking 400 milligrams of magnesium glycinate at night, especially if I'm feeling really anxious from working too late. And I'm also taking a supplement that I formulated called Calm and Restore, which immediately takes the edge off when you're feeling anxious. Now, it's a part of my new supplement line called Essentially Whole. Both Alex and I are using Common Restore pretty much every other day when we're feeling frozen or we're feeling overwhelmed. And it has been a complete game changer because it's a chewable. It literally is a chewable of PharmaGaba that will literally send messages to the brain, safety messages that everything is okay. And it works within like 60 seconds. So I've been loving to pair the Common Restore blend or the, the supplement, the chewable, with essential oils at the same time. And if you want to go and check out the little chewable, I call it Chewable Tranquility, the Common Restore blend, I will have a link to the show notes for episode 183. So now that you've got these epic resources and tools at your fingertips, Dr. Hannah has even more to share. But before I bring her on, I wanna quickly sing her praises. 
As an experienced speaker, Dr. Heidi Hanna has been featured at many national and global conferences, including Fortune Magazine's Most Powerful Women in Business Summit, ESPN's Women's Leadership Summit, and the Million Dollar Roundtable. She is the Chief Energy Officer of Synergy Brain Fitness, a company providing brain-based health and performance programs to individuals and organizations, and she's a New York Times bestselling author of many books, The Sharp Solutions, Dressaholic, and Recharge. And I'm so excited to bring her on to the show today. Let's welcome her on. Welcome to the Essentially You podcast, Dr. Heidi Hanna. How are you doing today, girl? I am so good, and I'm so excited to talk to you today. <laughs> Thanks. Mm, we have been in rich conversation about this topic that we're about to embark in, and we are talking about how to circuit break stress. And I know I have told you many times that I am a recovering stressaholic, and your book was so poignant for me for you know when I was overcoming some of my darkest times. Now, as we jump into this conversation, I would love my audience to get to know you a little bit better. So what was that defining moment for you when you knew that this was what you wanted to educate people on, how to overcome stress and really increase our brain productivity? Yeah, it makes me smile thinking about this, even though it's not funny when you're going through it. But one of the things we learned about humor, healthy humor, is we look at our pain and find a way to play with it. So it was a painful experience that brought me to this point. And I'll give some quick summary and then I'll tell you what that moment was for me. I've always been fascinated by the human brain and behavior. When I was around 12, I started fainting for what seemed like no reason. And it made me so curious about what it was. I could have all this information and knowledge and be doing well in life in so many ways and then totally be hijacked. And my system would take stress and anxiety and agitation and like shut me down, lights out. So that was weird. I struggled with a lot of negative coping strategies throughout my life, trying to figure it out. And I ended up really succeeding. I was traveling around the world as a keynote speaker, working with huge clients, and my two biggest fears were public speaking and flying. So that in itself is kind of cray-cray until you look back, and I know you can relate to this and realize that we actually get addicted to stress. And so we often lean into what we're passionate about and It's not that I, once I got into the swing of things, it's not that I was afraid of it, but it was still overstimulating. It still took a lot of energy. And so I would have these like high highs on stage, thousands of people. And then three days later, I was flat on the couch and and I hate to admit this, but suicidal thoughts, I mean, like deep into depression. So my life became this roller coaster ride. And instead of, you know, taking a break and allowing myself to heal and, and kind of work through all of that, I just push harder. And so I did what I think a lot of people listening probably do. And I would build in my vacation to my work. So I'd be going to this really beautiful resort and spa and I'd say, okay, so I'll just stay an extra day and that will be my vacation. And then I'll keep going. So I remember this moment so well, I was up in wine country working with a great client, beautiful property. And I decided to do that. So I saved a day at the end and I was going to go to the spa. So I go to the spa and I'm sitting in the hot tub. And the coolest part about this spa was they actually had a list next to the jacuzzi of what to do. So it was like, you go in the jacuzzi for this many minutes, and then you go to this shower and use this product. And then you do this sauna or whatever it was. And I thought I can follow that. 
So I sat in the jacuzzi, which I'm kind of obsessed and dependent on hot tubs and jacuzzis for calming my nervous system. And I remember looking at the list and like closing my eyes and not even 30 seconds into it, I was miserable. I'm like, I hate this. I don't want to be here. I want to do this. I actually want to work. And I remember this thought coming to mind of like, but that's, I'm so grateful. I get to do a job I love. Who gets to do that? So snap a towel around it, get out of the hot tub, go back to work and just be grateful. And then for whatever reason, another light bulb went off and said, you keep telling yourself and let's see how this works out for you because you are addicted to stress. You're uncomfortable because you don't know how to calm down. You know in the logical part of your brain how to do it, but your body doesn't actually have the wisdom yet to do this. And it gives me goosebumps even as I'm saying that because I remember so well, that's where the book Stressaholic came from was... I think I'm addicted. And what does that mean? And then when I looked into the research, there was such great research showing, you know, chemically, structurally, functionally, what happens in the brain and the nervous system when we experience stress. But I'll tell you, when I wrote that book, my clients at first were like, oh my gosh, that's me. And then the second thing they would say is, but I don't want you to take it away from me because I need it. (laughs) So I don't know if you had that experience, but that's what a lot of them said. You know, when I finally figured it out, I was so oblivious. For so long, it was a good solid decade that I was running from one thing to the next. And the real reason, like there's always something, an underlying reason underneath it. And I had a really, really, really difficult childhood filled with a lot of abuse. And I came out of that situation by myself on my own. Actually, I, even in high school, my senior year, I lived on my own. And I remember thinking, you know, my whole family had always told me, you go, you get your college education, you go make something of yourself. And I had gotten an academic scholarship in for college. And I remember thinking that if I didn't work so hard, if I wasn't so diligent, that somebody would take this scholarship away from me. And this became my through line that if I, if I didn't put everything into everything that I did, I didn't do everything for everybody. It was going to get literally just the, the, the tablecloth was going to get yanked right out of me. And I was going to lose it all. And you live in the perfect world to do that. Cause we live in a hustle and hack culture. We hustle. Everything's about get your hustle on. And then it's about hacking, which by the way, I have a lot of friends in the biohacking space. I'm not against it, but we need to stop hacking and start healing or else we're just putting band-aids on top of the whole thing. Absolutely. Oh my gosh. Absolutely. Well, I, you know, as you know, I hit the, I hit the ground and I I hit like a Mack truck and from the result of all of this, like I just kept not listening, not listening until I ended up on the floor and my hormones were completely out of control and balance. It was a straight hot mess situation. And I found myself having to pick up the pieces with this horrible chronic fatigue. And as I was trying to sift through, well, how did I get here? I was like, how did this happen to me? Like, I don't understand. Like this big light bulb went off is like, oh my gosh, you are just running on stress fumes. You're just running from one thing. And, and you're absolutely right. Like I got rewarded every step of the way. Every step of the way, someone was giving me a reward for my efforts. And so that, was, that wasn't helpful. <laughs> it's not helpful. And that's the hardest thing to break out of. I mean, for all the people who might be listening to this and relating to our stories is just because you get the aha moment doesn't make it over. In fact, I talk to, to people about this all the time who are like thought leaders, celebrities, celebrities who will come out and share their experiences with anxiety, depression suicidal thoughts, all of those things. And I always want to forewarn them. 
when you do that, you're going to have this sense of relief that you're not having to hide anymore. And now your story is out there. But let me tell you something. You're now going to feel so responsible for everything you do as eyeballs are watching you that there's this curve of like, we're going to go up. We're going to be excited. Look at me. Everyone's saying, thank you so much for your vulnerability and all of this. And it's beautiful. And then it gets quiet for a second. And then you are on the couch. And you can't even watch TV without your mind just racing and telling you, you got to hustle and hack again, or you're going to be forgotten or whatever's going on, all those messages. So I think that aha light bulb moment is so important, but just know that's the first step. Now comes the training, like retraining your brain and your body and your nervous system to support you in making better decisions. And that journey my friends, is never over. No matter how much you've been practicing, just like someone who trains for elite sports, you know, you take a couple days off and suddenly you feel like you're starting all over again. Mm, I agree 100%. I want to go back a little bit because I know that there are people listening right now who aren't even in the awareness stage, who are listening to this and they're like, huh, what's up with this? You know? And so how can we identify if we are living in a stressaholic state? Now you and I are both recording this right now in the middle of the COVID-19 pandemic. And we know that a lot of people are in a panic state for all kinds of reasons, but let's just take it back a little bit. I want to touch upon that too, in just a moment, but how do we even begin to recognize before it's too late? Goodness knows. I don't want people to end up on the floor like myself after many, many years of abusing my stress response system. Yeah. So I like to think about this as two different kind of categories of information that stress is giving us. And and first I'll start by saying, I think of stress as a relationship that we have with the circumstances of our life. It's not external. It's not all internal. It's this dynamic. It's constantly changing as it should be trying to help us to adapt and grow stronger. And we can if we have the right strategy. So the first thing to understand is that stress is what happens when demand exceeds capacity. So it could be physical, emotional, mental, spiritual, social. And now I would say, especially in circumstances like these, it could be financial, it could be operational if you're working at a company and how the systems work together. So as you unpack that, we have these signs and symptoms. And I think of signs as like the the indicator that your gas light goes off and says, okay, you're running out of fuel. You've got some time to figure this out and you go figure that out. You don't want to wait until the symptom that your car is, you know, needing to be repaired and all the kind of stuff that can happen within the system. So to me, signs, if you think about, again, those dimensions, physical, emotional, mental, spiritual, and social, they can show up in any of those. And I think a lot of the research and literature and education focuses on physical. And certainly those are important, but we do tend to push through those. So I actually find the emotional and some of the others a little easier, Um, but I'll touch on them a little bit, of course, rapid heart rate, shallow breathing, tension in the back, neck, or shoulders, digestive problems. So my kind of childhood stress trauma was really trying to get my attention first in headaches, then in stomach aches, went through all sorts of tests to try to figure out what was going on with my digestive system, couldn't find anything concrete. And then I started fainting. So it was like, okay, now it becomes neurological. I had doctors looking at potentially epilepsy, wanting to put me on medication. I mean, it was, it was a disaster for a good 35 years. So all that said, 
let's say you're not paying attention to your body or let's say you're pushing through or whatever it is. I really think the key indicators are when we're not showing up as the person we want to be. So let's look at emotions. I always want to be patient, loving, and kind, but I'm not. And my husband will vouch for that. <laughs> so <laughs> I go to, you know, I like lay my head on the pillow with the intention I'm going to wake up being that person. And I wake up and honestly, if I catch myself I have a morning practice that I do. And if I do that first, I can do those things. But if the first thing I do is think, I don't have enough time. I don't have enough energy. I check my phone. I watch the news. I start stimulating myself in that chronic stress state. I am a B word, like big time. I'm, I'm short tempered. I'm irritable. I'm frustrated. I'm the short thing is the thing that gets me because that's not who I am. But my husband will be telling one of his very long stories as he loves to do. And I'm like, land the plane, land the plane, land the plane, you know? And sometimes that's important to get things done, but sometimes it's just rude to someone who is really, really kind and, and patient to me. So I think when people think about like, how do I want to treat other people? How do I want to feel as I go through the day? Who am I at my core? If that's not how you're showing up the majority of times, then it's probably stress related. And I'd say the same, even if we look at, you know, social, spiritual, right? Spiritually, how do you want to impact the world around you? And is it really about getting a lot of stuff done or is it about the connections we have? And it just makes me think I'll end with this at the beautiful Maya Angelou quote that people won't remember what you say, but they'll remember how you made them feel. And so that's one of the shifts for people is, you know, to really put a pause into your day, morning and evening, but all through the day when you can build those in to ask yourself that question. How do I want other people to feel around me? And am I doing those things? Am I creating that energy around myself as I navigate, you know, through my daily routine to make sure that that happens? And if it's not, it's probably stress related. I think that assessment is so, so critical. Because so often, let's say we just, we're not paying attention to what's going on with our bodies, but we can absolutely pay attention to how people are responding to us, how people are, you know, kind of picking up on our energy. And it's amazing. You know, you could be irritable from across the room and someone could be picking up on that and you can feel their energy shift as well. And you have to ask yourself, well, how am I showing up for them? Okay. So those great indication I want to talk about as well. So that first step awareness, you know, is so, so important. Can we talk about what's going on on a physiological level? Where, where could we start to see the things, start to see ourselves unravel? What are some of the key areas that we would identify first? So when it comes to the physical body, and I look at everything really in patterns, so we can isolate really any symptom, any health condition. We know that statistically 75 to 90% of medical visits are stress-related, and that comes from a lot of different sources at this point. So anything you're going to the doctor for most likely has a stress component. It doesn't mean stress caused it, but stress will agitate or activate anything that's already bad in the system. And we know there's always things off. You know, we have precancerous cells that get activated. And so what we really, I think, want to be thinking about is like patterns over time or trends that we're seeing. And I think the thing that shows up the most 
with clients is people who feel tired and wired at the same time. So if you're going to bed and you either are physically tired or you know you should be, but mentally you're agitated, you can't stop your mind from racing, you know, you're following that stupid brain hijack lie that says if you just get one more thing done, you'll feel better, which by the way, it's totally a lie. You're never going to get it all done. In fact, one of my key strategies, I put a post-it note on my computer that says, you will not get it all done today. Deal with it. Because as soon as I see that and go, oh yeah, I'm not. All right. So now what are we going to do? You release it. Yeah. (laughs) You let it go. So I think that tired and wired at the same time, or even the sensation that there's not enough will cause that shortness of breath, muscle tension that we feel. I think those are really good indicators for people that we need to make an adjustment. And then just so people know a little bit, if we go a little deeper into that, why are these things happening is I think it's important to understand there are two very different types of stress and unpacking this quickly, the way I think about it is kind of like diabetes. There's type one, type two. So type one being more acute, something happens, you don't have the ability to produce or use insulin effectively. And in that case, you have to make a dramatic decision, right? Like you go on treatment, you fix what's broken, and then you have a solution that, that will work for you according. Same with acute stress. So if there is actually an emergency and you have to take action, it's primarily fueled on adrenaline. Adrenaline has a short lifespan in the brain and body. So it really doesn't do damage. In fact, it helps us have a bit more energy, boosts our immune function, improves our memory, focus, and attention. So Lowers inflammation. Yeah. It's like yeah. great, right? In mm-hmm. the moment. And it's okay to say, hey, I like a little shot of adrenaline every now and then when I need it to get things done. Every now and then, fine. The problem is if you are doing that all the time, it's like you've got the gas pedal stuck down in your car and you're just going and going and causing that wear and tear. I would even say it's kind of like you have the gas and the brake at the same time, just grinding the gears. The other challenge that we have is that most of our stress reactions are being triggered by things that we're not really in control of or think that we're not in control of, which adds a whole nother layer. So that's that every day, I don't have enough. I've surveyed now more than 38,000 people to try to identify the key factor that people do have some control over in their lifestyle. So nutrition, fitness, sleep, commute time, jet lag, you name it. And I found that the number one trigger is the feeling that there's not enough time to get it all done. So if we think logically, there is enough time to get done what we need to, to be productive, healthy, happy human beings. The problem is we're trying to cram more than is humanly possible into 24 hours. And now that is something we can take ownership of and make some adjustments to. So when we hear statistics like the 75 to 90% of medical visits are stress-related, we're not talking about real, true trauma, emergency, disasters. What we're talking about is when those extend over a period of time and there's no resolution, that's when we see the brain and the nervous system actually adapt in structure, function, and chemistry. So we're actually changing, just like we would change muscle tissue, we're changing the neuronal structure and how neurons communicate and fire uh, back and forth to each other from an electrical and chemical perspective. 
And the main things that are happening, if you guys could imagine that your brain is organized in a hierarchy of three levels, a lizard brain, monkey brain, human brain, the main things that are happening are the primitive reactive part of your brain is getting stronger. Literally the volume of your fear center is expanding. And when it does that, it's not like it's just growing in your brain swells. It's taking over cortical real estate from the part of your brain that's supposed to help you problem solve. So when we feel hijacked, that's what's going on. It's that the primitive part of the brain is now communicating better with our memory center. And so we're remembering fear. We're remembering anxiety. That's getting you know, stronger like a muscle. And then the memory center to the prefrontal cortex, which is supposed to help us figure our way out of it, is atrophying like muscles that aren't being used. And that's, again, it's like we're rewiring our brain in a way to be stress sensitive. The good news for everyone is that we have that same ability through intentional practice and training to rewire our brain to have a better life and and really have a different lens through which we see our circumstances. Hmm. And that's what I wanted you to connect in on is that this, we can have a longstanding change. So then when you're wondering why you feel so triggered so easily, that is because that primitive brain has been rewired to be able to say, oh, there's a threat. Oh, there's a threat. Oh, there's a threat. And it just keeps firing and firing and firing. And those those spacious, expansive, creative ideas, that problem-solving capability that you used to have, it kind of just dissipates because we just trigger up to this reactivity state. Yeah, that's so good and so clear. And I want to add to that. You and I have had this experience and probably a lot of people watching or listening will have as well. And that is that every truly stressful experience is causing like a micro injury to our nervous system. So if you have, there's really two types of trauma and trauma is a stress, obviously a stress inducing experience to an extreme. There's capital T trauma, which are the big things we think about. Um, You shared some that you've had. Certainly I've had some in my life as well. And then there's like lowercase T trauma. That's the everyday things where we're having to react and oftentimes out of control and we just push those down. I want to give everyone a really clear picture of what this looks like and feels like because it happened yesterday. It was an extreme case of literally being re-traumatized by something that should have been more minor. So I have actually now been sick for going on five weeks. I've been minimizing that. I have been trying to tell everyone I'm fine. I've been pushing through it, all of that kind of stuff. And then finally was unofficially diagnosed with having the COVID virus based on my symptoms and experiences. And so I'm starting to share that more now because I want people to see you can get sick and you can get better. So I'm really trying to help model like what has to happen to get better. And I am slowing down and doing what I need to do. However, yesterday we were at my condo downtown San Diego. It's up 24 floors. I've now been through five earthquakes in the last five years. It's very traumatizing. I was also on a plane on 9-11 and other things kind of adding these layers of injury to my nervous system. So I'm highly, highly sensitive. Yesterday, there were cars driving around downtown San Diego honking their horn for about 30 minutes. And sound is one of the most sensitive cues that we have, sound, sight, and smell. So as that was happening, I literally felt like I was being in a torture chamber. I could not handle it. I have rib pain right now from coughing. I have all this stuff going on. And my whole body started to shake. 
And instantly I knew there were two things I needed in that moment because I couldn't get out of it. I couldn't just walk down 24 flights of stairs and I have to live there essentially, although we have already made an adjustment so that I'm on the ground again. But in that moment, I went back to what I know. And my first thought was, I need a little bit more information that will help me. So I texted a friend of mine who works for the news department here in San Diego and just said, hey, when you figure out what's going on, could you let me know? And kindly, he did eventually tell me what it was all about. That when we can take control to get information or take action, we should. It's problem-focused solutions. But there's also emotion-focused solutions. So I did reach out. I did ask. I knew that would help if I could get information. And then it was like, in the meantime, I have no control over anything else. So I did what I know to do. I immediately got my essential oils and started breathing. I started breathing at about six breaths per minute. So in to five, out to five. I put on the sound of the ocean waves crashing. I put my fan on to blow air in my direction. I mean, I did everything I did. And it was like, but I would never have known to do this. This is a point I want to make. I would never have known to quickly shift into that while being traumatized, unless I proactively every day been kind of getting my groove on and figuring out my beach brain routine and going, okay. And so now I keep those things handy. You're not going to go from never doing this to suddenly being a stress master. Right, exactly. (laughs) I was was literally in my brain. I was at the beach. You may not do that, but you have something. You have some sort of cue or ritual or routine that you can go back to. And the more you practice, the better it gets. So the two things I want to share here are appreciate that your life experiences have adjusted your nervous system to potentially be more sensitive and be kind and compassionate to yourself and proactively be training things in the morning, right when you wake up in the evening before you go to bed and consistently a few times during the day to get your recharge breaks going. And that's going to help you then, you know, reactively in the moment circuit break the stress of whatever experience you're dealing with. That is so profound. Now I interviewed you a couple of days ago on a Facebook live and we talked about, you talked about a three-step process of whether you're recognizing that people are receiving your, your energy a little different, or you can feel your mind is racing, you feel reactive, your palms are sweaty, your heart is racing, whatever, whatever that physiology looks like, whatever that cue looks like. And you notice, and you decide you want to shift that physiology because it's definitely the, it's where our creative centers come back into play. And we feel so much better in that place. So talk to me about how we move through breathing, feeling, and focusing. I know a lot of what you just spoke to tied into that. Yeah, that's true. Thanks for bringing that back. I always think it's so helpful to have a really clear framework and people who get to know me know I always think in threes. If it's more than three, I'm like, nope, too much. (laughs) So keep it simple, right? So I came up with this idea years ago, actually, probably 10 years ago, just for myself to kind of figure out how to calm my nervous system down. I call it the brain recharge process. It is meditation essentially, but a lot of my clients in the corporate space, like act like they're allergic to meditation because it sounds too woo woo. And I always joke about that. I live in San Diego, so we meditate here, but not everybody, they feel like maybe it's too spiritual or, or out there. So essentially that's what we're doing, but we're doing it following that triune brain model. So we're calming our senses. And it's a model, not a meditation, it's right? A model. <laughs> it's a I'm model. Meditating. You're meditating, <laughs> but that's okay. Whatever you need to tell yourself. So 
If you do meditate, you'll see that you usually in a guided meditation, focus on your breath first. And then depending on the form of meditation, you're going to elicit a positive emotion. That is really key. That's the feel part. And then you're going to direct yourself to really focus your attention in one direction. So breathe, feel, focus. And it's easy to remember. I always think of BFF, like best friends forever or whatever. So it's easier for people to remember. And I have stress mastery educators, you know, trained in practicing this who are using it at home with their kids or using it with their colleagues, you could practice for 30 minutes. You could practice for three seconds. Like if I'm being activated right now, which I'm not, but if I were activated right now, eyes open, looking here at the screen, I would just focus on my breath, elicit a positive emotion by thinking about something I feel grateful for. And this is really key. When we think about gratitude, it starts here. So as I'm walking people through the practice, I always say, think about something or someone you feel grateful for and gently let that just slide down into the heart space and notice how it feels in the space around your heart as you feel gratitude, because you want to embody the emotion of gratitude, not the thought. The emotion is what really settles it down. And what that does is radically shift our brain chemistry and allows our brain to work more effectively and then focus on a word, a phrase, a sound, a symbol, a cue that you can just gently repeat to yourself. So when I guide people through this, I'll usually ask them, you know, what's a word or phrase that describes you when you're at your best self? And what does that feel like? What does it look like? And have them just start to meditate maybe on that idea. Um, I also like to incorporate it with breath. So I'll often say, as I breathe in, I am. And as I breathe out, use the word or phrase. So I'm now kind of training myself to be in that state as if it were happening. And then I have other, you know, mantras and cues. One of my favorite, actually, as I breathe in, I will say, I have enough. As I'm receiving breath, I have enough. And then as I'm exhaling, I am enough. And with the exhale going a little bit longer than the inhale and also releasing any tension that you're feeling in your body as you just kind of rest in that rhythm. And, uh, you know, we can incorporate other cues like essential oils to bring in the essence of being out in nature. We can bring in different sound cues, different colors can help. And, and definitely if we can get outside and actually practice being outside, we'll pick up that natural kind of energy and vibration of being out in nature, which is like the icing on the cake. It so is. And one of the things I do, I, the breath work comes in, I ask myself, you know, how do I want to feel, you know, joyful love. And then I say, okay, what, what memory can I pull up where I felt that way? And that just takes me right to that beautiful place. Maybe it was my wedding day. Maybe it was when we were, we were in the Tuscany and Italy, you know, frolicking around, you know, whatever that is. And I just can just remember, and it, it feels like it takes me from that mental spot, that cortex to the heart. And then I go into the mantra. So I love that too. So people are like, gosh, I'm trying to feel the thing. And they're not able to, I always elicit a memory that you can remember being in that spot. And while you're doing that, it's one of the things I love about, you know, our, our cameras being on our phones. And I feel so old saying that now, but if I told you about the phones in my day, you'd laugh. But we have all these moments to capture what I call perfect moments. They don't happen all the time. We're not supposed to be happy all the time, by the way. Like uh, that's shocking to people. Like we're supposed to feel sad and tired and even irritable and angry. And all of those things are good feelings to have. They support specific functions in our life. That said, when a perfect moment hits you, soak in it. 
take a picture, create a folder on your phone. I have a lot of these, I call them recharge folders where I'll put images, sounds, videos, humor. And what I find is when you lock that in, then you could even be looking at that as you're doing your practice. And I'll take an image of something I love. I'll put a quick mantra over it in text. I'll put the soundtrack behind it. And now I've got this awesome customized recharge practice that I can use. So, so soak in that. We're so fast to go into the next thing. If you see the perfect moment, let it settle in for a second, capture it. And just like you said, use that as an anchor to go back to when you need it. Hmm, that is so, so powerful. Ooh, I love that. Have a little folder with your pictures, your favorite little videos, maybe your, your favorite puppy videos, you know, whatever it may be. Maybe it's your favorite corgi. Um, really quickly, I want to shift to, because I think a lot of these skills can be used right here and right now. So Dr. Hannah, you and I both know we are in it. We are in this pandemic. And some people are calling this the anxiety pandemic as well. Can you speak a little bit to not only what you're seeing right now, but how can we use these tools in this really unprecedented time where people are getting triggered by fearful news and triggered by scary text messages from family? How can we really set ourselves up where this unknown threat, this little micro threat, this telling the brain that we've got to be scared and panicked? Yeah. So I want to say that to keep it simple, let's go back to the framework of what stress actually is. It is the gap between demand and capacity. So using what you just shared, what are the demands we're currently seeing and feeling and where can we have more capacity? So again, going through this myself, I feel actually blessed and I'll be more blessed as I look back on this for with a little bit more health, but I feel blessed that, I mean, I was one of the first waves of people to get sick. It was February 26. Now that I look back on all of this, I was in Seattle and then I was in Los Angeles and then I was in San Francisco. And I just kept saying, wow, this is so coincidental. I feel like it's chasing me. So now when I look back and think about what did I do well, what did I not do well? And with self-compassion, not to blame or shame myself, I made the best decisions I could with the information I had Obviously, I know more now. And I will say the things I have learned literally by walking through this myself are, number one, be on a news and information diet. And if you need to detox, detox. Because when I was working more and watching the news less because I didn't have the bandwidth, I was actually starting to feel healthier because I was a little bit disconnected. And some people may say, well, that's naive and you should know what's going on. Trust me. In five minutes, you can get the information. And every time it says it's an update, it's not. It's not. We're not getting more information. It's a rewind. <laughs> it's how media hooks us in to pay attention and spend money on ads and all that. Like We know this stuff. So use common sense a little bit more to say, okay, common sense isn't common practice. How much information do you need to feel updated? And really, is it 15 minutes twice a day? That's fine. But but be strategic about it. You wouldn't put an IV in your arm and constantly be taking in nutrition because you'll give yourself diabetes. Even if it's healthy, we're not designed to have a constant inflow of anything. So that would be my first thing is what is demand? And know that when you are stress sensitive or dealing with difficult situations like this, that you're going to already have a heightened demand, meaning that, you know, even relationships that you have, I mean, we're all trying to be helpful for everybody, but we cannot serve others with an empty tank. So if you have family members that are draining you, or, you know, in my case, of course, my family wants constant updates, but it's, 
exhausting to constantly update them. So they're going to have to wait. And they know I'm talking with my doctor and, you know, we've got it handled. But there's been at least a couple of times where I've had to say to my parents, especially my dad, who I love dearly, dad, stop telling me you're worried about me because all that does is activate me. And now I feel like I need to take care of you. So I know you're worried about me. You know, I'm taking care of myself. Set healthy boundaries is really what I'm saying around um, relationships and then the rest of it, I think, is focus on building capacity and know that we do that through what I call my fab five, which is nutrition, movement, sleep, disconnection and rest and taking breaks and social connection. You know, we talk about needing to socially isolate, but that's not accurate. We need to physically distance ourselves, but we need social connection more than ever. Just don't take on too much. Again, who are two or three people that you could connect with more regularly. So you're not having to rehash everything and then make sure you surround yourself with people who are, I'm not saying we can't talk about negative things. We want the safe space to do that, but also talk about what's good in the world, funny stories, ironic things that are happening. I mean, I'm a stress expert. So how funny is it that of course I'm having to be ahead of the curve getting sick? It's like, yeah, it's funny, God. And then the other piece on that, I think, is really build in routines around all of these things and make it you know, essential. I tell people your body is business essential. Your brain is business essential. So don't put all the work ahead of your own vehicle as you walk through all this. And I'll say one last thing on this. One of the best things we're finding, and we're actually now researching this specifically, I'm part of a group called the Brain Health Initiative, and it's based on um, some colleagues of mine at Harvard and Mass General Hospital. And we're really leaning into this and looking at the research around on how we're all adapting and adjusting in this specific circumstances. And one of the things we're looking at is how people can reframe situations in new ways. So an example of that for me is this virtual first responder group that I've created and, you know, happened quickly. So there's a sense of this like heightened responsibility and I have to do everything really fast. And that was too much too soon. But when I realized that and said, wait a second, people don't need us for a week. They're going to need this for a long time. And the reality is, yes, they need help with anxiety right now, but they're also going to need help with the depression that always follows anxiety, the down, the, the fatigue, the burnout. Like we, this is, we need to be in this for the long haul. So the two pieces in that are the two lessons. Number one, when we can use our experiences and truly be curious and almost see life as an experiment. Like, what are we learning right now? What are we learning about ourselves, about each other? How can we be kinder to each other? How could we, you know, rally around this together? Research has shown that when we have cortisol in the brain, but we also have oxytocin, which is the social bonding chemical, that stress actually builds us up instead of breaking us down. So we use that to our advantage by, you know, collaborating with other people, um, not just screaming every idea that pops into mind, but have a group and say, what is most helpful for our community right now? How do we do this more effectively? And then through that, knowing that the last thing we want to do is bring more information overload or manic attention to anything, that we want to create something sustainable and really pace ourselves. I'm sure a lot of people, Maritza, who follow you are healers and helpers and coaches and trainers and want to save the planet. And we all want to do that. But we have to slow down and really be thoughtful about the energy we're putting into the world. And now more than ever, 
be responsible for the energy you bring to the time that you have, and you will get way more done effectively, efficiently, without burning yourself out or breaking your system down. All of it. Wow. Like just helping us to navigate with the tools and the way that we can approach it. So powerful. And I love the first responders, you know, collective that you've created. You also, what I want to have you share where we can find you. I know that you've got a global stress summit that's coming up. Could you tell me, tell us all a little bit about that? Yes, I would love to, because even this has pivoted and I'm so grateful. This is actually the fourth year I'm doing the global stress summit. Just like what I've heard about having a child, I haven't done it, but I can say writing a book for sure. And I know you know that too. It's like you forget the pain and then you want to do it again because <laughs> there's so much love with it. A year, a year is enough to almost forget. <laughs> almost enough. So then it's like, oh, but I meet all these cool people and I learn so much from it and I've got to do it again. I've done it in four different formats. I mean, every year I'm trying to figure it out partially and I'll just be authentic with this because I always lose money because I'm like, I just, I just want to give it away to everybody and I couldn't come up with a business models. So thank goodness. The way this has now evolved is that we're just giving it to everyone for free. And we're rallying some sponsors around us who want to be part of that. And we've got some great partners. We're even doing some grant funding to help support what we want to do, because we know that the you know, time is really important. So this was already planned. It's April 18th is when it's going to actually open up. But at this point, it's not like you have to watch it in the weekend and then you can pay and get it. No, you just get it. So people can go to globalstresssummit.com to sign up and just know, you know, depending on timing that we are updating that literally every minute because we're adding a few people, including yourself. And I saw a sneak peek of your session and it is so amazing. I learned so much. I was actually really, I didn't tell you this, but I was really sick. I was on one of my worst days listening to that in the morning. And it just was so inspiring to me because again, it's a perfect example of we don't have to do this alone. I could teach people about essential oils, but I mean, most of it, as you know, is just what I've learned from you reading your book and then practicing, which is still helpful. Yes. But still man, helpful. when you get the person who like, it's their lane, it just... It's so powerful. And so we have expanded to include now seven categories of resources. So health and fitness resources in physical, emotional, mental, spiritual, social, plus financial and operational. Um, The virtual first responder program is really designed to help companies and organizations to help their employees. It doesn't mean it won't help the individual, but we know that we need to reach the masses. And most of my work has been with organizations. So we are providing the summit as a free, easy way for companies to also share this information with their employees. But we also have a list of thought leaders, practitioners, researchers, people who want to share their content with companies who are offering to do, you know, workshops, webinars virtually, do coaching, even counseling virtually. So that's kind of where this eventually is going to go is this one big push effort. But my focus is really around next generation mental health. And I had a program that was supposed to roll out this week that we're having to postpone till May, but we're still rolling it out. It's called Brain Boss. It's going to be for college students to learn how to train their brain to be more of a stress master. Then we're actually going to have the college students learn this well enough that they're going to lead the webinars and workshops for the high school students. So we're really excited 
excited about that initiative as well. Oh my goodness. So many good things that you have got going on. Woo. And I'm so excited to not only share, so I know we've got the recharge toolkit and then we have the global stress summit. So I'm going to get both of those links in. You guys are going to want to go and watch these videos, watch these experts. And then the toolkit has all kinds of goodies, all kinds of free stuff to help you navigate this terrain and moving forward, navigating anytime you're feeling like you're feeling, you're feeling stressed, you're feeling overwhelmed. Anywhere else we should find you, social media. Just look for me. HeidiHanna.com is my website. And the interesting thing about all of this is I have been trying to do it all by myself. And, you know, like I'm sure all of us have done like a quarter of my husband's time and half of my mom's time and like rally the family around on a super budget. So the good news with all of this is because we are getting some grant funding for our projects, I'm able to hire some people to help me. So people are going to see a, a shift happening quickly. Thank you, Jesus. Um, now that I have some support and some people who really are experts at that as well. So HeidiHanna.com will be evolving even over the next couple of days to have all of our resources in one place. I'm like a domain addict. Like I have more domains than I should have. So I'm like, go to this one and then go to this one and then go to this one. And they'll all be at HeidiHanna.com pretty soon. Wonderful. I love it. I love it. The organization just keeps things clean, keeps things easy. Dr. Heidi Hanna, thank you so much for coming on. You are such a blessing. And I just love, 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 love that you've got all these great resources for us to plug into. Yes. Thank you so much. Thanks for sharing your platform with me and also all of your knowledge and information, which has been both personally and professionally really helpful. I appreciate you. Thank you. What I know for sure is life is going to be different moving forward. Because when has burnout and worrying ever served any of us? I would say never, because it never served me. Right now, we have a unique opportunity to go inward and change the internal dialogue. We decide if this is actually happening to us or if this is happening for us. We get to change our mindset around all of it. We can do that right now. Now, earlier, I shared a small part of my childhood with you without going into the horrible details of being treated like a prisoner in my own home with the looming feeling of being unwanted and unloved. But what I learned later on is that breakdown leads to breakthrough. I know that during those formative years that they happened for me and not to me. And who I am today, that little girl helped to define me. We always have a choice and we get to choose today. Are we going to allow fear and anxiety take over us? Or are we gonna pull out our tools and get grounded? Now, this episode was jam-packed with all kinds of ways to implement mindfulness tools, the same tools that I have used to reset my trauma triggers over the years. And I can speak from experience that managing my mind and my mindset is a whole lot better than being at the whim of my trauma, especially during a time when it feels like there's so much unknown. Now, lastly, I want to quickly let you know that I've been devoting a series of episodes here on the podcast to support you during this time. Ever since episode 172, I've been interviewing amazing experts on the pandemic and how to support our life, our family, our homes. And I want to share a couple of episodes that I think are worth checking out. 175 was my top 10 ways to boost the immune system and stay healthy. 177 was how to boost your immune system by healing your gut. Because let me tell you, anytime's a good time to heal your gut. 178, are you addicted to stress? If so, how to banish stress with three strategies. Episode 179, how to thrive during a pandemic and quarantine. 
and episode 180, how to overcome the anxiety pandemic by managing your mindset. And there will be way more to come in the coming weeks. I want you to know that we are in this together and I want to provide you with the best resources as we navigate this together. Now, thank you so much for stopping by and listening to this podcast, the Essentially You podcast. On the next episode, I am bringing on one of my best friends, Jennifer Hootie. She is my visionary vision guru. We're going to be stepping into how to create a vision during a time where it feels like, again, everything's falling apart. And I just love that I'm going to help you, along with Jen, really get anchored to what that vision is and how it can help you get through this difficult time. So I hope you come in and join us literally for this next episode. Until then, I'm sending you so much love and I hope you have a wonderful day. Bye. Bye.